Hi, Nancy. Welcome to episode 69 of the Front Porch Book Club. The Front Porch Book Club is a podcast that meets twice a month. We like to dig deep into the relationship between characters and the worlds they live in. Grab your book and iced tea and join us on the Front Porch. Lenny, last year we reviewed Max Out Mindset for our January book. Love that book. Yeah. We talked about that a lot in our last episode. At the time, we thought it would be fun to do a book to help us enter the new year with some tips about how to set intentions, and it certainly did. Yes. So this year, we thought we'd do another sort of intentions book, and this year, we're doing The Real Work on the Mystery of Mastery by Adam Gopnik. But this book isn't really, as it turns out, very self-helpy. As Gopnik writes in the book, I realized as I worked on these pages that what I was writing was a self-help book that won't help. (laughs) Okay. I was looking for some help. (laughs) I was, I was thinking it was going to be like last year's book and it was going to give me some real practical tips Mm. to help, but it really wasn't about that. (laughs) No. (laughs) This was instead his personal journey into finding masters and then learning from them. Yeah. As an adult learner, he sets out to become a painter. He wants to learn boxing. He wants to dance with his daughter. He wants to bake like his mom. And he is a New Yorker, so he wants to drive because he's never never (laughs) learned how to drive. Right. So mastery isn't necessarily like, let's become an Olympic athlete. Max out mindset was let's perfect skills. This was, you can be a New York driver. Yeah. That would be mastery in and of itself. I was going to say that really is a skill. (laughs) (laughs) He sets out to learn by people who are experts. And then the book talks about his own experiences, but it also gives some background information too about all of these skills as you read through it. Yeah. So his overall question in this book is figuring out how masters learn difficult things, which I thought sounded great. I really wanted us to review this book because I love Adam Gopnik. Like us, he was born in Philly. Woohoo. Uh-huh. He's been a staff writer for The New Yorker since 1986. He's written 10 books, including one of my favorites, the best-selling Paris to the Moon. And this is about him and his wife and their move to Paris with their young son. He's won the National Magazine Award for Essays and for Criticism three times, and his work has been anthologized many times. One of the first points he points out has to do with who are the masters, and he says that he is surrounded by them. Yeah. And he does find people who can teach him dance and boxing and all that, like right in his own neighborhood. There is some commonplace in that where when you brush up to somebody and you go like, oh, they're really good at that. Yeah. You know, there's a stained glass shop that I thought, now that would be fun. That's right downtown, five miles from my house. Right. Oh, there's people that know how to do that. That's really cool. They're masters at it. So there's masters all around us, Nancy. I know you have taken some classes. I have in Lincoln to become a better weaver or painter or things like that. 
all the dancing. I I feel if I could not love Adam Gopnik anymore, I think we both are just like people who love learning things. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I've done painting classes, dancing classes, weaving, pottery throwing. That was a recent one. And of course, my long-term tennis that I'm trying to master. Yes. You keep going and trying different things like he does. I do. I think it sounds a little bit like you, though. I kept thinking mastery. I was thinking elite level, world renowned. And his examples kept illustrating, no, he just means people are good at things like his driving instructor at a driving school. He was good at giving a certain wave when people would get mad at him. (laughs) That's That's what I got from that. (laughs) The the dual meaning wave. (laughs) I get certain hand gestures at me too when I'm driving. (laughs) I thought his examples were good because they kept bringing you to the fact he is not talking about the world's most famous but simply people who are really good at something. Some of the people that he apprentices himself to are magicians. And that was the only section that it was really some truly world famous magicians that he talked about. Yeah. yeah. And that was the beginning of the book. So maybe that's where I stumbled a little bit because those were names that I recognized. Right. For painting, it was just a New York artist who apparently is very good and he has shows and galleries, but his was not a name that I recognized. Boxing, and that was just a local gym. With a bunch of little girls in it. (laughs) Kicking. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's right. That was adorable. Dancing was just like a local studio, probably like when my husband and I did dancing with a bunch of friends. Yeah, we just had a local teacher. I mean, he was excellent. We learned how to dance. Yep. Baking was his mom. Love it. He had a local therapist that he worked with for a uh, mental health issue he was wanting to address. And then, yeah, we talked about driving. It was just a local driving school instructor. Mm-hmm. So aside from the magician's Really, these are people who aren't famous, but people who are just good at what they do. You know what, Nance? I thought another one for you. The one year you said, I'm going to learn how to make a really good pie crust. Do you remember yes. when you did that? That was just like two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's my goal for this year. I'm going to learn how to make a really good pie crust. <laughs> and you did. Yeah. But you self-taught yourself that. You didn't yeah. take any class for that. You figured it out. Yeah, that's true. So did you have a favorite skill that he engaged in that you enjoyed reading about or that resonated with you? Well, I loved him and his therapist. I guess Mm -hmm. uh, that was probably my most interesting chapter because it was a real hands-on type of experience for him. One of the interesting parts of that, this particular social worker had the same problem that he has and hasn't completely mastered it. Yeah. My second one was learning to bake from his mother. First of all, I have to say, I could have predicted that you would have liked the social work therapy. His whole approach was cognitive behavioral therapy, which I know that you really... I like it. That's good for anxiety. Yeah. And so why don't you describe what cognitive behavioral therapy is? Well, I guess it's really everybody's go-to for things to reduce anxiety and to conquer your fear. 
because your fear is taking over your behavior and your fear is taking over your thought, then you're addressing those two components to reduce your anxiety. It's a kind of a complicated approach, which is why most people need somebody to guide them through it. But that is in it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then why did you like the baking with his mom? I liked him and his mom. Yeah. I liked thinking that they're working together and she's passing on her skills and the memories that he had growing up and smelling the bread and the comforts of home. All that good stuff, Nance. It's bread. (laughs) What skills resonated with you? Because you've had some experience in a lot of these different areas. What parts did you like? There were two that I really liked, and it was because it did resonate with my own experience. First of all, the painting, because there is something magical about just watching something appear on your canvas that you had no idea that you could even do. And, And there it is. And then dancing... The dancing instructor shows you how to do something and you just cannot do it. And it's just ridiculous how uncoordinated you are when you start. And then all of a sudden, there you're doing it. You're dancing and your feet are flowing and you're moving across the floor. And it's just amazing. You couldn't do it. And then it certainly doesn't happen immediately. But after three or four weeks, you're doing things with your partner that you literally could not do four weeks earlier and you just are you're dancing it's it's amazing and that is a feeling of achievement and mastery so that's my experience with not being able to do something and then being able to do it and in fact he says everyone i think has a moment when we learn to do things that not only seem difficult but impossible until you begin doing them his example is reading. And I actually do remember learning to read and how things moved from just illegible scratches on paper to suddenly I could read. But do you remember a time you felt that way? I've dabbled in painting too, and I like it. Yeah. One thing that we share in common is that we both learned how to play handbells. Yes. That is something when you sit in an audience and you look at that, you're like, wow, they have to be really on point. Because there's all this busyness in front of you. You might have 15 members or 10 members or whatever with all of these bells and all of these octaves. And how are they doing that? Right. And you and I picked that up very quickly. And we were part of handbell choir for years. That's an example of a skill that, that we learned how to do. But we had somebody teach us how to do it. Right. How do you know which bell is in what hand? And we had multiple (laughs) bells a lot of times that we would be moving between, even sharing bells sometimes with someone else. Sharing bells, yes, yep. All sorts of different little tricks to that trade. Two bells in one hand, and then you have to ring maybe them together and maybe separately. So that was a fun thing that we both learned how to do together. Now, do you remember learning how to drive stick shift, which is how we learn to drive? I do. And how hard that was at first. Yeah. And then suddenly you get it. I remember Cemetery Hill. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's a tough one. Yeah, we had to learn how to shift up and down that. That's what I remember. I think as an adult learner, there are components of this guy's personality that you have. Like, oh, I'm looking for a new challenge. 
mine always are more like, um, okay, my son is graduating. I need a life. What am I going to learn how to do? How am I going to fill my time? It's more of a hard thing for me to overcome. Maybe I should volunteer here. Maybe I can learn pickleball. Maybe I can do this or that. And it's more of a push to get me out of the house and doing different things. And learning is something I don't think is easy for me. So it's a hardship to overcome. Now, that is some of my experience. The other part of my experience is like for pickleball. Oh, I'm just going to have fun. Like I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not out for a medal, but I'm going to have fun. And this is the most hilarious sport ever. Mm -hmm. That's probably my newest skill set is trying to figure out how to play. I think the one thing that you're not talking about, though, is going back to school as an adult and becoming a licensed mental health counselor. That was hard, too. None of these things are necessarily achieved easily, but think about the skills you learned and what you can do now in terms of counseling that probably in some ways are almost second nature for you in terms of working with clients. Yeah, I did do that. It took a long time. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there were components. Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about more fun things like magic, painting, you know, creative outlets. School. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of adult learning. Absolutely. He talks about three themes in mastery. The first one being breaking down and building up. And he talks about identifying and perfecting small constituent component parts of a skill and then combining them for an overall greater effect than the sum of those parts. So in other words, kind of the importance of very intentional practice. Mm -hmm. Then the second theme in mastery is intentional imperfection or the acknowledgement of human presence. And this is revealing the humanity in what we do. His example is vibrato, which he calls a way of not landing on the right note, but a technique that for listeners carries maximum expressiveness. And then the third theme in mastery is that masters teach us their skills so that we can become masters, but also to connect with others. I felt like these three points that he makes is about as close to self-helpy as he comes. Mm-hmm. It did feel reinforcing to me as I'm thinking about some of the skills that I've tried to master as an adult. Of course, first thinking about tennis, because I'm always thinking about trying to improve my tennis game. But I think about the breaking down and building up. So in my lesson this week, my coach was like, Nancy, think about doing this. And then all my other skills just disappeared. And I was like, I try to add one new thing to my repertoire and suddenly I can't do the things that have become second nature. And he's like, yep, that's pretty typical. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So just the idea of these small constituent components that, you know, you feel like you're taking a step back when you try to integrate them but you just need to work on them and then get them combined back with the other skill sets and hopefully improve. Yeah. So did any of those themes resonate with you? You know, I like them all. The one that I want to make a comment on is imperfection. Oh. I find imperfection so endearing. I love it. 
I don't know if you remember this. I was listening to music that was taped Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, this beautiful masterpiece. I heard one of the instruments make a blooper because the stereos and things are so good now you can pick out an imperfection. Yeah. And I love that. I absolutely love that it wasn't taken out somehow computer wise that it was left in there. It lets the person know this is difficult that we're human, but it's beautiful anyway. I really love Maverick City, which is a Christian artist group. And one of the most wonderful songs, I, I just love it. He makes a mistake in it and they kept it in. And I love it. Huh. I absolutely love it. As a therapist, perfectionism is an area that a lot of people have problems in and accepting that they're not perfect. Yeah. And one of the great things you can do with kids is force them through art activity that isn't perfect, that it's beautiful for not being perfect and find those examples or having those experiences where it is messy and it's yucky, but look at how cool it is when it comes out. Yeah. So I really like that part of, I guess, what he was talking about. I love that you like that humanity theme that he talks about. There are seven mysteries, Nancy, of mastery. And he talks about his experiences within these seven mysteries. The first one is this mystery of performance. Once impressed by a performance or a beautiful solution to a problem, the audience will leave reasoning behind. It's kind of like sometimes when you're in the theater and Mm -hmm. there's this unbelievable story. Yes. (laughs) You do leave reasoning behind and you just join and you enjoy the movie for what it is. Yeah. The second one has to do the mystery of identity and intentions and that mastery is lodged into a specific time, but it speaks to other times as well. The mystery of interiority, one's interior experience of an accomplishment and mastery are more important than any exterior claim or lack of it. He says we can become aware of our limits and still enjoy our achievements. So he doesn't necessarily become a master in any specific area, but he enjoys what he can do. The fourth one is the mystery of meaning. It's impossible to describe why art and mastery touches us when it does, which I do believe that's true. Mm -hmm. The mystery of late style. This is an accumulation of long mastery into producing masterpieces. Let's talk about that. Let's just stop there. Nancy, Mm -hmm. the mystery of late style. What do you think that means? In his examples, these are more famous people, but you can see the accumulation of their long life in a certain area. And then they have these masterpieces that seem to kind of encompass everything they've ever done or learned. And I think Monet's Water Lilies, the whole series of Water Lilies is an example. Those pieces incorporate who he was and are maybe not as technically perfect as some of his earlier work, but they don't need to be because it is 
his complete skill in achieving emotion that people respond to. Mm -hmm. I think of novelists who suddenly they are in a different place at a different level and you read their work and you say, well, maybe this is not the innovation of their youth or the amazing precision or technical skill of their middle life, but they've achieved something that is just incredible at this later phase of their life. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of you. I don't know, Nance, we're kind of later life in some ways. We still got Uh a lot of good living to live. (laughs) But your love for books, Mm -hmm. now you're a playwright. It didn't just happen. There's a long series of little steps that comes into play. And yes, that play was a huge jump. It was a leap forward. But you had the foundation of understanding literature and you did a lot of writing professionally. Yeah. So it is all those little steps that accumulate in a person's life. And then you have these late bloomers. Yeah. Okay. Number six is the mystery of the art itself. Gopnik tells us to do the art, the act, the performance, and doing it is where the mystery lies. Yeah. The seventh one is the mystery resolved. This section is only a few sentences of which I will read in its entirety. He writes, we seem to dance. We have the intention of dancing. We feel inside as if we're dancing. We are seen to dance. I have not yet aged past the point of dancing. No, we do close enough to count as real work. We dance. Yeah. Which seems to tell us that we need to give ourselves grace to recognize that even in our skills are perfect, we're doing the thing that we want to do. I really did like the mystery resolved and the idea that in just doing it, that's the beauty of it. The fact that we're doing it. And that does tie into this mystery of interiority. It's just the experience of mastery that's more important than any external achievement. That you're doing this for yourself and you've got to recognize you're never going to be perfect. But do it anyway. I like trying things. There are always people who are going to be brighter than me, better at painting, better at reading, better at everything, but I can give of myself. And most of the stuff I'm doing is because I want to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't need any external accolades to do something that I'm choosing to do for me because it's something I want to do. Yeah. And it's enriching and you learn things about yourself. You learn things about others. You connect with others. Yeah. I think that this is a cry from the heart to let's just experience life. I was talking to one of my tennis coaches and he said, teaching adults tennis is really an interesting experience because there are some people when they get to be adults that they can't stand being bad at anything. Mm -hmm. And he said, and those are the people who will just drop out immediately. They just can't stand the sensation of being bad at something. And I think Gopnik is telling us, yeah, you're going to be bad when you're trying to learn something new, but stick with it. It's worth it just in the doing. 
Yeah. You have to think of this guy. He's middle age when he's setting out to do a lot of these things. And there he is with a bunch of little girls. (laughs) As flexible as little girls are, they're having no problem kicking somebody in the waist or the head. There, Those little girls are twisting and kicking and doing all this stuff. And then he learns to dance in Central Park. Yes. Because that's during the pandemic. But we're in New York City. And there's a lot of strange things going on in New York That's City. True. So it's fine. He says people would notice them, but no one. No one thought it was. <laughs> no one cared. <laughs> no. And you're not going to stop and ask them because it's the pandemic and everybody was wearing masks. So <laughs> just kind of kept to yourself. <laughs> but I love that with his age, he's going to go get a driver teacher along with his son, yeah, that he's going to put himself out there and learn things. And there is a sense of humility that comes along with, I don't know how to paint. And I'm an art critic, for goodness sakes. Yes. Now that takes some humility. I think that this particular book, at a nutshell, is sort of a kick in the pants for me, Nance. Really? Because there are things that I think I want to learn how to do. Or I think maybe I have an aptitude for this, but I have not explored it. Now that there's an empty nest, I have more time than I used to. And it brings up this question again for me of, do I want to tackle another thing? Mm -hmm. And what would that thing be? Mm -hmm. I would love to write music. (sighs) I don't think I've ever shared that. And it's scary to share it on a podcast. I love that. I think that's in me. I think it's in me to write a song. It is. I love to direct. I absolutely love to. I'm in the car and I'm singing, but I'm also directing the chorus with one hand. (laughs) Maybe that's why people give me hand gestures sometimes (laughs) when I'm going down the street. I am finding the downbeat. I'm figuring out, is it four, four times before? Look at that. There's a triplet right there, right at the end. I love dissecting music. I love listening to music. I love conducting the music. So I think there's something musically that needs to come out of me. Yeah. And I've been feeling that way for a long time. I need a creative outlet like that. Yeah. So there's things like that. I think I should take piano lessons. I know that's a long learning curve. Sure. But I think that if I was taught to learn how to play the piano, I think I could learn how to play the piano. And you even have a piano in your home. No excuse there. That would be great. So I'm thinking of the new year. Mm -hmm. Do you have any new things that you feel brave enough to put out there as a possibility? Not saying you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. that you think you might want to put out there. Based on our last conversation, I did download a meditation app that guides people through meditation. So I'm going to work on that in the coming year and hopefully be more successful than I was last year. I love that. But otherwise, I think I'm mostly going to continue along the path that I am on for improving tennis. I'm in my little beginner league now where I'm feeling very comfortable. I feel like I'm learning more how to 
compete in a league. Those sound like goals to me. Yeah, I guess so. That sounds like learning. I don't know how long I'll be in this beginners. And maybe by summer, maybe I'll be ready to step back into the USTA leagues. I'm not really putting any timeline on it, but I am enjoying being in this beginner league and just taking a deep breath and getting back to enjoying playing the game. You know what? And I don't think in his book he ever worries about the end goal or putting pressure on him. It's kind of like, I'm doing this underhand art stroke for months. Yeah. He's not putting all that pressure on himself. He's out there just for the experience of it and to learn something. So I think your statement there goes right along with where he thinks a good mindset is for learning. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. It makes me think too about poetry because we talked about that because I've been thinking a lot about poetry and that does tie in with music and putting some pen to paper and some words and some music and doing something. And again, it's not that it'll be published. It is not that I'm going to hear it on the radio. It's doing the experience and creating something out of nothing. That's right. We did talk about poetry last time. Yeah. Love the idea of you picking up the pen again and exercising some poetic skills. Yeah. So it turns out this was a good January book for us after all. Well, maybe it really was, Nancy, now that I think about it. Yeah, even though it wasn't so self-helpy, but made us really think a lot. Yeah, and it wasn't easy steps. Right. But the overall points, really discussing this with you helped me to solidify what I did get out of the book because I wasn't sure when I read it. It was like, okay, well, that was his experience. What's that have to do about me? And so talking through this really helped me to feel differently about the book and then attach it to areas that I think I can grow in. That sounds great. Maybe this is the kind of book that you do need to talk with someone else about. Oh, yeah. Like book clubs and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, next time we'll talk a little bit more about this book with somebody else. That sounds great. Thanks for listening, everyone. Our website is frontporchbookclub.com. Our episodes come out twice a month on the first and third Wednesday of every month. All right, Lenny. See you next time. See you next time, Nance. Bye-bye.